chapter four of the fly like a witch top 10 reasons salem village is not the orlando of colonial new england okay i'm going to hurry through this next part because it's mostly boring the person who came into the room was named tiduba an indian slave that mr paris bought long before he came to salem her job was to keep the Paris household running smoothly, but I didn't really get to know her until later. I've got one word for you here. Voodoo. I also met Betty, the Paris's skinny nine-year-old daughter, and her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail Williams, who was an orphan the Paris family had taken in. Both of these girls were kind of creepy, and let me just say right now for the record, I wish I had never met either of them. It turned out Reverend Paris was right. I wasn't going to be staying with them. I can't tell you how sad I was about leaving that unhappy place. Boo-hoo. After the doctor looked me over, except everything was okay except my knee, they farmed me out to some some church members named the Proctors. The Proctors owned a huge estate, and John Proctor also ran a tavern on the same property. Mr. Proctor was this big older guy, around 60 or something, but he had a lot of fun and always told you exactly what was on his mind. I went to live on the farm with John Proctor and his wife Elizabeth and their kids. My job was to help their servant, Mary Warren. There was a lot to do, so I pretty much was busy from the time I got up in the morning until I collapsed in my bed at night. Nothing too exciting happened the first month I was there, but here are some amazing facts I have learned about the hard life of people of of the people of Salem Village, and I know you are just dying to find out. Uh, maybe dying isn't the best word. Number one, no underwear. That's right, you heard me. No underwear. There's this dealio. Cloth and clothing in Salem were at a premium. There just wasn't much of wasn't very much of of it around. When they needed clothes, they couldn't just run down to the local discount store and buy what they wanted. They had to make all of their clothes. You may be thinking that really isn't too bad, but you don't know what it is like to have to make your own clothes also. In fact, most girls my age spent a lot of time sitting at a spinning wheel making thread out of wool or flax. This was both a complicated and boring process in which you had to stand up and feed the wool into the spindle and then walk backwards a few feet to draw out the yarn. The finished yarn was then put into a loom and cloth could be made out of it. It took me a while to get the hang of it, but I finally got it down. When there wasn't anything else to do, all the girls put in their time at the spinning wheel. Death by boredom. So since cloth was so hard to come by, most people had only a few clothes, and guess and I guess underwear was a luxury. When I found out this disgusting fact, I kept a close close eye on the pair I was wearing and my long johns. I wasn't giving up my last remnant of modern society. 
Now you'll probably want to know about colonial bathrooms and toilet paper. Surprise, surprise, neither of them existed. That's right. When you had to go, it was on you and the nearest tree or bush and some leaves if you were lucky. Personal hygiene in Salem was not a big priority. Number two, it was very, very, very cold. You could add a few more varies in there if you want. The cold was everywhere. You could never escape from it. It was it wasn't that it was just freezing outside, but it was also very cold inside as well. You, Yes, we had a fireplace, but none of the buildings were insulated, and there were huge gaps between the windows, far and few between, doors, and anywhere two boards came together. You could almost see the cold blowing in. In fact, the houses were so drafty, you might be standing next to the fire with your face practically burning off, and your backside would be a pop would be popsicle cold. One time I left a cup of water on the fireplace mantle overnight and the next morning it was frozen solid even though the fire blazed all night long. Because it was bitterly cold, the fireplaces were humongous to provide as much heat as possible. The people of Salem tried to keep as much heat in the house so the chimneys were small and the inside of the buildings were very smoky. Unfortunately, these hearths were also wide open and usually burning pieces of firewood rolled out onto the floor. One of my other jobs was to make was to get these flaming babies back into the fire before they burned the house down. Another huge problem is that smaller kids were constantly falling into the fireplaces because they were trying to get close enough to stay warm. I managed to keep a couple of Proctor boys from becoming crispy critters by keeping a sharp eye out. When it wasn't snowing, it was still cold and gray. I didn't think that New England winter in Salem was ever going to end. Number three, Indians. The villagers of Salem were deadly, deathly afraid of Indian attacks with good reason. They were nine miles from Salem town and were essentially on the frontier. All these wonderful Thanksgiving stories about pilgrims and squantos were long gone. It didn't take the Indians long to figure out that all the white men wanted to do was steal their land and move them someplace else. The threat of an Indian attack was constant. There were many, many people who lived in Salem who had either been the victim of recent Indian attacks in Maine and New Hampshire, or had a family member murdered or kidnapped by Indians. Most kidnapping victims were never seen or heard from again. Those who did survive told horrific tales of torture and abuse. Everywhere you went, every day, Salem folk had Indian attacks and ambushes on their mind. These random attacks came without any warning and kept everyone a little bit edgy. Maybe that was part of Reverend Paris's problem. John Proctor didn't seem as worried about it, but he got deathly serious when the, fr- the, when the frequent subject of Indians came up. I never joked about Indian attacks. Number four, wolves. As if the Indian problem wasn't bad enough, the Puritans also had to watch out for the, the packs of wolves that dominated the New England landscape. Not only would the wolves attack you out in the wild, some of them were so brazen. They had 
they got into the habit of attacking people and animals in the village. Because their food supply was very limited in the winter, the wolves were especially dangerous this time of year. Oh, really? I already learned that. Since I had survived the wolf attack, I became a minor celebrity in Salem Village. Everywhere I went, people always wanted to hear my wolf story. Okay, if you give me a dollar, what's what's a dollar? Never, never mind. They especially wanted to know how I escaped. I would have told them if I only knew. I am certain it made them suspicious when I told them I couldn't remember. Pretty soon, it was clear that the Salamites were starting to avoid limping wolf girl. Number five, bathing. This never happened as far as I could tell in Salem Village. I never saw anyone jump in a pond, river, or stream. Of course, most of them were frozen. I also never saw anyone wash up for dinner and give themselves a sponge bath or even wash their face when they got up in the morning. Combining this with the fact that they didn't wash their clothes or linens very often, well, you get the picture. Usually you could smell someone coming long before you could see them. Now, I'm not crazy about taking a shower every 10 minutes, but after a couple of weeks, even I started feeling a little disgusting. I found a cloth and used it to wash up every day or so, but I doubt it did much good. Since people avoided me, I guess it didn't make a difference. Limpy, limping, stinky wolf girl was my nickname. Number six, church. This was the biggie for the residents of Salem. Most of them were Puritans and attended church on a regular basis. As a servant in the Proctor household, I was also required to go to church, even though Mr. Proctor rarely attended. Though this was fundamentally fundamentally unfair, at least it was better than spinning wool. The church at Salem was very different than any church I have ever visited. The men and women came in through separate entrances and sat on opposite sides. There was no singing or hymns or music of any sort. Women were not allowed to speak in church and there were no backs on the wooden benches where we sat. Services mostly consisted of sour Reverend Paris ranting and raving about the devil and evil and witches. All of the services were simple, long, and boring. All of the adult members of the church referred to each other as goody for the women and good man for the men. Kind of like you might call someone Mr. and Mrs. Since it was December, the Puritans were so big on church. I was starting to get excited about Christmas until I found out that they didn't observe any religious holidays. You've got to be kidding me. I did learn by attending church that there was a big dispute in Salem Village about Reverend Paris. I found out about half of the people in town didn't like him and wanted to get rid of him. You put you could put me on this list. As a result, this hadn't paid been paid for as a result of this, he hadn't been paid for two years, and a lot of people had stopped going to church. No wonder he was so cranky. Number seven, toothbrushes. Don't ask. Same goes for deodorant, body soap, shampoo, etc. Of course most of the people in Salem Village were limited to three or four teeth. Number eight, education. 
Life in Salem was amazingly hard. Everyone in each household was doing was busy doing something just to survive. They were either spinning wool, making butter or cheese, sewing clothes, preparing food, taking care of children, hunting, making candles, tending to the animals, going to church, farming, watching out for Indians and wolves, or one of the other million things that needed to be done. There was no place to go shopping, so everything that we used had to be made, traded, or grown. The only time for education was in the evening after work was done, so there were no schools. The education that children received was done at home by their parents. Much of it was religious in nature. John and Elizabeth Proctor were amazed that I knew how to read so well. So one of my new jobs was to help educate their sons. I was dying to tell those boys about skateboard and video games, but I kept my mouth shut. I still didn't know who I could trust in Salem Village. Number nine, fun. As you can tell, the Puritans weren't too big on frivolity. Even though everybody was deathly serious, every once in a while they would get get together and play some games. Some, someone, might even break out a fiddle and everyone would clap and sing. Big whoop. I heard that some of the girls hung out on Sunday nights at the Paris house for a little fun. Mr. Proctor wasn't too keen on letting me go over there, but I was about to go crazy with all the hard work and only the boys for company. Even though the Paris house was full of strange people, I was desperate to make some friends. Number 10. Food. In the winter, there was almost no fruits or vegetables. Mostly we had milk, butter, and cheese from the cows and the goats eggs, bread, porridge, wild game that the men had hunted, and once in a while a slaughtered pig or a goose from the yard. Woohoo! Sugar and salt were rare, so everything had almost little or no flavor. I was working my fingers to the bone though, so by the time a meal rolled around, I was always ready to chow down. No questions asked. In conclusion, as you probably noticed, life in Salem Village was incredibly difficult at best. It was miserably cold, overcast, gloomy, smoky, smelly, and full of dissension, mistrust, and fear. Fear of your neighbors, fear of the Indians, fear of the wolves, and most of all, fear of the devil. It was one endless, desperate cycle. Cycle. Days upon days of fear, hard work, and bad weather. In short, Salem Village was the perfect place for something terrible to happen.